Uh, it's one of my favorite days of the year. Anna, thank you so much for facilitating that earlier. And uh, such a great day. I'm glad you're here. It's good to see some new faces and guests. I also want to welcome those who are joining us on live stream today. Uh, here's a phrase that I'm asking for you to find a place to kind of lodge this inside of you, especially when we think about babies being born into families or weddings or just families growing in some way. Is it in the moment of a miracle, speak blessing in life? In the moment of the miracle, speak blessing in life. Here's what I mean by that. When babies are born into families and you first engage that family, is not the time for you to make jokes about never sleeping again or the terrible twos or how bad the teenage years are going to be. Like there's times to joke about that, but I try to have a principle in my life that when I visit people in hospitals who have just had babies or I visit or, or interact with families who have just adopted a child into their family for the first time, that's not the time for me to make any of those kind of jokes. It's the time for me to speak blessing and to speak life. Mary was able to store up the things that people were celebrating about Jesus when he was born because people were doing things and saying things that she could store up. And we want to give moms or we want to give dads things that they can store up inside of them that are blessing in life. Psalm chapter 48, if you want to turn in your Bibles there, uh, we're in a five-week series right now, um, Unhindered Devotion. I want to talk about praise and I want to talk about worship some over the next few weeks. And in Psalm 48, verse 12 and 14, uh, let's just begin in verse 12 and 13. It says this, walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels. And basically what they're saying right here is like, go around the city and look at all the success that is there. This would be like me taking you to downtown Memphis today and saying, look around at all the buildings, look at the Peabody, look at the restaurants, the coffee shops, the pubs, the, the tram, um, the trolley, and all the other things down here that, are, that represent life and progress. And look at the new construction. Look at the renovation. So what they're saying is you go into Zion, you go into Jerusalem. And for them, of course, they're making the point like, hey, all this stuff is happening and there's progress and there's success. And for them, it's because God has done great things. Here's how the verse goes. Walk around Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, Walk, uh, that you may tell of them to the next generation. This isn't just to point out the success that is happening. This is that there's a story that is going on that we are a part of, of the faithfulness of God, and we are recognizing this and celebrating this so that we can tell the next generation about it. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. So I think we can all be on the same page today that multi-generational community is a really good thing. And it's also a really hard thing. Have you ever been in a setting at, a thank, at Thanksgiving, Christmas, a birthday party where you're in a room with multiple generations of people? So it could be grandkids, grandparents, great-grandparents, parents. And have you ever had moments you're in a setting like that and you're like, I don't think we're speaking the same language. Like we don't understand what you're talking about and you don't understand what we're talking about. It's like we're living in the same world, but we're not living in the same world all at the same time. Jason Dorsey is a guy, our staff got to hear him at the Global Leadership Summit last August. He's considered the number one person to speak on a multi-generational community, especially when it comes to understanding millennials and Generation Z. So he has a website and you can check it out. He does some really good work and, and he kind of talks about the four largest generations in the United States today. Here they are. You have the baby boomers, now, depending on who you read, they may put a year kind of in a different place, but baby boomers around 1945 to 1964, uh, and there are a little over 70 million of them living in the U.S. today. Where, show me the hands of the boomers in the room today. We got some boomers who are here. You're proud. So after World War II, there was a boom of babies, right? 
And this is a generation that they came to age in time. They understand social revolution. They understand what it means to grow up in a time where they were having to navigate. How, what does it mean for a culture to navigate a, a response and how you go about with the Vietnam War and the Cold War and civil rights movement? And there was all kind of social revolutions happening too, like Woodstock. How many of you went to Woodstock? Don't tell me if you went to Woodstock. <laughs> but I kind of want to know if there are people here who went to Woodstock. But, but don't tell me, okay? Uh, and then you also have, you have generational, uh, Generation X, and, and this is one from like 1965 to, some people put this in 1976, some people put it all the way in the 1980. Every generation, you kind of have that three to five year span where some of us connect with two generations because we're right there on the cusp. And you have Generation X who, they lived in a time where there was the, uh, um, the a growth and expansion and explosion of suburban life. This was a time too where you have a generation that was learning the work ethic from their parents and the generation ahead of them while also living into a world of fresh technology and all kind of potential and innovation. Some of the best leaders today come from this generation. They came to age in times of, uh, of movies that form people like 16 Candles and The Breakfast Club. And so they understand those things, all right? It's also a time where you saw a significant rise in divorce rates uh, for a variety of reasons. And one being that this was a generation that saw the average American worker add 164 hours to an annual workload. So basically this was a generation that took an extra month of work and added it onto a 12-month workload. You had more and more women who were entering to the work workforce in this generation. And then you have, how many Generation X do we have? Just show of hands, all right? Be proud. And then we got our millennials. How many millennials are in the house today, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and th this represents the largest group in a workforce today. Uh, millennials, uh, and Jason Dorsey does a good job. Like some people say, this is, the, the, this is the generation that's tech savvy. And it's not that they're tech savvy. It's that they're tech dependent. I mean, for, for most of us now, if you lose your cell phone for 10 minutes, you can't breathe, right? It's like an organ has gone out in your body. It's just who we are. We're the ones that made the whole journey from Atari to Nintendo with an AB button to Sega with an ABC button to everything we have today. We've been on this journey with people. And then you also have Generation Z. Late 1990s, all the way up to maybe 2015, this is a generation that basically all their lives, all they know is an era of cell phone and YouTube and Google and social media. It's who they, Uber, and these are things that this is just their existence. Uh, this is also the generation that unfortunately and sadly, none of them were alive to see the last time the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl. All right? <laughs> I mean, it's just, <clears throat> I don't know if you're clapping because you want that to change or you're so excited. I don't know. So, so you put all four of these generations in America and you put all of them in churches. Because in the Psalms, when they talk about next generations, and I think through most of the Old Testament, like they're talking about two, maybe three different generations. And today we're talking about four, maybe five. And we're trying to get along, but we really don't understand each other very well. Because you've got generations now who don't know what the Ponderosa was, you know? <laughs> Like I tried to sit my kids down not too long ago over Christmas break to watch an episode of Gunsmoke because my grandpa used to watch Gunsmoke. And five minutes in, they were like, Dad, we can't take it anymore. Like, this, <laughs> like the storyline's not developing and all this is going real slow. We have a generation that they don't know the stress and the discernment it took on a Friday or Saturday night to walk into a blockbuster video store 
trying to get there before other people to get the new releases. And if they aren't there, to dig through the pile of all the VHS tapes that were being turned back in to see if the new releases are there. They don't understand what that is. You just get online, you click something, and you start watching it now. And now it's like we all get in the same church and we want to be a part of a multi-generational community and we like the idea and it's beautiful when it's happening, but it's really hard. Because our vocabularies are different, how we think about the world are different. I mean, you have words now that one person, one generation will interpret a word or an image will come to their mind when they think the word apple. Just say the word apple and you have a generation that may think about a fruit and you have a generation that they think about a symbol. TikTok. It's a phrase that for some, they think about clocks and others, they think about an app they spend hours on every day. And some of you are, if you don't know what the app is, then I, you are making my point for me today. <laughs> we don't speak the same language. There's, I mean, this next one is, and there's a generation, if you go to the next slide, there's a generation that for them, this was called a thong, and that's where we're going to leave this. <clears throat> go to the next one. Go to the next one. <laughs> Go to the next one. <laughs> a generation where you say the word cloud, and some people think about things in the sky, and some people think about where you store stuff. So here we are as a multi-generational church, trying to figure out how to do this together. And now what a lot of people who write on churches, and I've told you this before, what they say is that a lot of churches and growing churches, some, at some point they have to decide, are they going to be a church of 45 and over or 45 and under? Because it's so hard to get people together and to grow and to thrive with four to five generations and multi-ethnic groups. It's just so hard. But we don't know another way to do this in a way that honors God. Casey and I, we try to like raise our kids in a way where we're trying to put them in touch with people from different walks of life or different age groups. So in our home, we invite people over. There are times we try to invite younger people over and we try to get teenagers and younger adults in our house and we try to hang out with older people. I try to hang out with younger people. I want to understand them. I care about them. There, there are people in their 20s who sometimes want to hang out with me and it may be because they think I'm still in my 20s. I don't know. And then I, I like hanging out with older people too. I learn from them. I like older people. I like hanging out with Jim Hinkle and Kip Long, and it's, it's, just a, it's just a lot of fun. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> as hard as it is, right, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. I want you to look in Psalm 78. I think this is the second longest psalm in the Bible, and I'm not going to read all of this. I want, to, I want us to look at the first seven verses in Psalm 78. My heart just kept coming back to this as I knew a new, new arrival blessing was today and I knew what Anna was going to facilitate and lead us in. And I know the kind of church we want to be and the kind of church we are. Listen to these seven verses. My people hear my teaching. So, so uh, the person who writes Psalm 78 is writing this as a teacher, like as a rabbi, someone who has something they want to hand off to other people. So my people hear my teaching, listen to my words in my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. So you get the sense here, like this person's writing saying, hey, there's this story that needs to be communicated from one generation to another. And this was, story, this was the story that was handed down to me. And now here's what I'm writing to all of you. And it's in a form of praise. In verse four, it goes like this. We will not hide so I spent time in my prayer time this week, even pacing throughout this room as I pray over this church. I was like, God, what are the things that, that we may be hiding from the next generation that are important to them? 
And what are those things that we may be hiding that need to be on the forefront of our minds or on our hearts to make sure they hear these words and these stories coming out of our lips? What, we will not hide them, uh, them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. So last week I talked, when I was talking about praise, I said one element of praise, especially in the Psalms, is that praise is about storytelling. The praise is a form of declaring. Here are the stories of God that have formed people for years. And here's what we're passing on to you. The praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. When our first grandchild in our family was born, my mother claimed this as the verse that was going to drive her as a grandmother. That she wanted to be someone, especially when she was around her family, she was going to declare, and she does. She declares the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. God's power. The wonders God has done. Verse 5, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them. Even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. And then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commandments. It's a form of storytelling. Some of the songs we sing, it's a form of storytelling. Uh, So here's a line. If you go to the next slide, I'm going to let this slide just sit up here for just a little while. Look, here's the deal, man. We can teach them and just fill in this blank with anything. When it comes to the next generation, and there's always going to be a next generation, we can teach them blank, but if not Jesus, it will never fully satisfy. As simplistic as that is. We can teach them about financial security and financial responsibility and what it means to be debt-free or to alleviate debt, but if we're not instilling in them stories of Jesus, it will never satisfy We could teach them morals. We could teach them what it means to be good citizens, to say no to drugs. We could teach them how to pull out chairs. We could teach them how to open doors. But if not Jesus, it will never satisfy. And it's filling the blame with anything you want. We can teach them all kind of good things about the world and about, about life and about responsibility. But if we're not teaching Jesus, it's never gonna satisfy. So when we come together and when we live our lives, it's about telling the deeds of the Lord. The Psalms of Psalm 48 and Psalm 78 and Psalm 102 and Psalm 145 and other places that talk about the next generation and giving them a story that is compelling. When they are doing this, these Psalms, and you especially see this in the Old Testament, it's not about just retelling the past because the past is something to be researched and mastered and it's history. They're retelling stories of God because they believe what God has done in the past has bearing on what God will do in the present present and in the future. We're telling you these stories because it's not that this was the God, who, the, the God who was, it's the God who did these things and God is still doing these things. So if there's one thing I want to convince every follower of Jesus and every generation of is that you have something to give. It's a matter of how are you gonna choose to deliver what it is you have to give. And some people may choose to use larger platforms to do that. And some people may choose to use really small ways that will make a big difference to do that. But you have something to give. Because I know in my life, I always want to be ready and I want to have a response. If somebody comes up and asks me, and if, if it's someone I know well or if it's a complete stranger, if they ask me, hey, I know you're a follower of Jesus or you're, you're a minister, you're a pastor, here's what you do. What difference has Jesus made in your life? I want to have a response to that. And for our children and for our grandchildren and for the next generation, I don't want any of us to die and then have people who have to come together to try to piece together how that person was passionate about Jesus or not. That what is flowing from us is how we came to Jesus, 
why we still choose Jesus. And that we get really good at even talking about some of the biggest failures in our lives because they are the ones that bear witness to how God has delivered us and set us free and has moved us into our future. Multi-generational community is hard. But I don't know any other way to do it. So let me go at this by probably saying maybe a couple of things that is going to offend a few folks in here, but I really don't care today. Let me start, let me start with things we can agree on, okay? Multi-generational community is good, and it's hard, and the Bible's for it. I think we can, can agree on that. And I think we can agree on when it comes to multi-generational community that um, respect and care goes both ways. I want to raise my children to respect, especially people who are older than them. I, we, we try to teach our kids that you look people in the eye and you shake their hands and you say, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and yes, sir, and no, sir. And I think it's also when it comes to care and, and tending to and respecting a generation for older generation, hanging out with the younger generation, there is so much negativity in the world and, and the next generation does not need all your negativity about how bad the world is and how corrupt things are. They need you to be people who are instilling them in them hope uh, and grace and Jesus and opportunity and possibility with the gospel. These are things we need. If you read the Bible, there are times where the Bible does talk about caring for the older people, caring for the elderly, especially when it comes to caring for widows, especially widows who don't have families to care for them. Right? But, but here's the challenge. I think the overall arch of, arch of the Bible and the way the Bible encourages generations to bend is for the more mature people, older people, to get to a place in your walk with God where you were willing to bend to the next generation. Not where you were giving up the convictions in your life that are unshakable. Convictions about God and Jesus and the Spirit and things like that. But that you were willing to bend so that the next generation can live life with God in a way that can make a difference in the world. I think the challenge for every generation is at some point you've got to reach a part. You, you just got to reach a point in your life where you say, you know what, for, we've been able to do church our way for a long time. And now it's time for us to pour into the next generation, to give them the freedom, to think with God, to be the kind of community that's going to impact the world for years to come. And it doesn't mean you let go of your deep convictions. We're going to hold on to those convictions, but we're going to become the biggest cheerleaders and fans for that next generation. Because what's too easy is for people to say, in that church, they sing songs we don't know anymore, and the preacher doesn't dress like preachers used to dress, and we're just going to go, and we're going to form a church or be a part of a church of people who have done things the traditional way instead of committing to a multi-generational community where the next generation needs older people in their lives, teaching them about what it means to follow God and overcome obstacles and to be the biggest cheerleaders. So when that song's being sung, that's a new song, and you don't know how it goes, that you make a decision, I'm going to sing it, and not with my voice, with my body, because I want people to know we're all in this together. It's the story we're in. Because there's one way a generation can try to live, and that way is by saying to all the next generations, we want you to become like us. But the best way for generations to live is together, we want to become like Jesus. That we don't want you to become like us and all of our passions and how we've done things for years. But clinging to the heart of the gospel, we want to join you on a journey that we're becoming like Jesus.
This is what we're on. I want to ask elders to go around and receive people today. If there's any response today to Jesus, if there's a response, if there's something you need in your life, we have elders, we have prayer leaders who are going to surround the room. And I want to ask for the church to stand together. And I have four verses I want to declare over us as we end our time. As we stand. I want you to receive these from God. And you can choose to open your eyes and look at the screen or bow your heads and use this as a form of prayer. In Psalm 22, verse 30, 31, it says, Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim, will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to the people yet unborn, uh, unborn, God has done it. In Psalm 79, verse 13, it says, Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever. From generation to generation, we will proclaim your name, your praise. Psalm 102, 18, let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. And Psalm 145, 4, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. So let's sing this.